um, if you are a part of one. We, uh, we started this series uh, about two weeks ago, and basically we said that there is one central message to the entire Bible. There's a lot of things in there. There's a lot of direction for how to live. That is not the central message. The central message of the Bible is Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb. And in fact, one of the ways that you can know that it is so central is the fact that God uses a bunch of different words to describe what happened there. In a sense, he has a bunch of different words to share with you his love. If you were here two weeks ago, you remember maybe that uh, somewhat funny uh, Hallmark card video where these guys were looking for a card for their wives and one guy didn't care what it said, you know, um, the other guy really thought about his words. And Jesus thought about his words. God thought about his words. Sometimes, though, we just quickly read over them and don't take in what he meant by them. What we're doing in this series is we're stopping to take a look at those words. And our simple series goal that we looked at the first week was this, that through this study, we're going to grow in a deeper understanding. I'll tell you, this is a more theological, let's really think type series than maybe the last one that we had, where we're really going to need to put our thinking caps on, drink some extra caffeine. And also, though, there is that feeling side of it, the appreciation of the cross, too. Thinking, understanding, and also our heart, appreciation of the cross. So two weeks ago, we looked at justification, to declare not guilty. Good. That was the, to declare someone not guilty is what that means. And we, we looked at that for about 30 minutes, exactly what that means and how Jesus took our place. When the father, the judge, looks at Jesus, he gets to give the verdict, not guilty. Then last week, our word, crossword, was redemption. And Pastor Ladner was here, and he taught us about how redemption means to buy something back, to buy back. And really, if you really want to get to the heart of the, the imagery, you go back to the 2,000 years to a slave auction. You got a, you got a guy there who decides to buy a slave, pay a big price for that slave, but instead of then keeping him in his slavery, he pays all the money and then he says, here, here's your freedom. Go free. You're free. That's what Jesus did for us. Now, this week's word, as you know already, is reconciliation. And to get you thinking about why reconciliation matters to you on a daily basis, what this word is supposed to mean, I, I want to share with you a story that gets to human nature, okay? So a few weeks ago at my Wednesday morning growth group, there was a, an elderly woman and her daughter who normally attend. And uh, the grandmother had received a phone call from her grandson, Nathan, a few days before growth group. And so she told us about this phone call. Basically, the, the phone, she picked up the phone and the, the, the guy said, hey, I'm Nathan, grandma, and me and my girl, we deci girlfriend, we decided to elope and we're in Mexico. And he continued and said, and grandma, I did a bad thing. I drank too much and drove, I got into an accident, and now I'm in jail here in Mexico. Grandma, I can't tell mom and dad because they're going to kill me. Um, do you think you could send some money to help me with my lawyer that I have down here? Say, Grandma, 
if you can't really, if I don't sound the same as I normally do, it's because I broke my nose and I have a cut in my lip from the accident. The lawyer that I've got here is going to call in about five minutes or so uh, to tell you how to Western Union the $1,800 to me. Now, some of you are catching on here a little bit. It wasn't Nathan. She has a grandson named Nathan. Some crook found that out and made up this whole story so that, you know, grandma, preying on her emotions, would send $1,800. Thankfully, these two ladies were smart enough to call Nathan's parents and say, is Nathan in Mexico? No, he's working right now. He's not in Mexico. At least I don't think so. No, he's not in Mexico. And they didn't send the money. But isn't that just despicable, huh? And yet at the same time, part of you is like, but it doesn't surprise me. It's really horrible, but it doesn't surprise me. Um, You've had enough human relationships to know that every single one of them tends to be selfish. (laughs) That we tend to, as we have relationships with people, we're always skeptical because sometimes people tend to use us. We've been used in the past. And that sometimes a relationship is more about what the other person can get from us, like this phone call, than what that person is going to be a blessing to us. And the unfortunate part of the fact that we're so used to this type of human relationship that is selfish, the unfortunate part is that we don't really know anything else. And what happens is this, that we tend to take that understanding of human relationships and how we always lean towards wanting and getting and needing from others, that we tend to take that framework and we put it on God in our relationship with Him. And we at times feel at times, not all the time, but at times feel like our relationship with God is all about stuff that he wants from us. Like what? Like our time. Like I could be home sleeping, but I need to give God my time. And oh, by the way, my wife dragged me out today too, or my parents, and so I had to give get God my time. Or maybe it's our offerings, our money. God he always wants something from me. He wants, he wants my money. Now, I can't just spend this extra 10%. I need to, to give it back. And, I, I, and there's these things I want to do with it. Or maybe it's our choices. You know, if it were up to me, I would do this in my relationship. Or I would do this um, in my job. But God says something else, and now God's taken from me my choices. Now, even if you don't think this way all the time, there's not a single person in here that has not at some point felt that way about God taking things and thinking of our relationship in that way. I I wanna say something to that before we get into our section. Um, If God wanted your stuff, he wouldn't ask you for it. He would just take it. (laughs) If God wanted your time, he would just take you from this earth, okay? God is not the needy God who needs little puny Ben to give him something. It's not how God works. Yes, there are ways to give back to him, but he doesn't need, he's not like that guy who needs our $1,800 Western Union it. No, it's not God. And in fact, that's not even at the heart of God. Here's our, our first fill-in for our message on reconciliation. 
that more than wanting something from us, God wants something for us. Much more than God wanting something from us, our time, our offering, God at his heart wants something for you, for us. Now, what does he want for you? Well, again, I think it becomes so clear when we go back to when everything was perfect and when God just started this, this sort of relationship out when he created us. And to do that, I just want to reread a couple um, verses from Genesis chapter 1 to kind of remind ourselves of that. It says, way back at creation, God created man and woman in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Now, what did we do in order to get God to create us? Oh, wait, we, we can't do anything because we didn't exist, right? And what did we do in order for God to have this desire to bless us? Oh, yeah, that's right, nothing. And, and what did we do for God to make God have a desire to allow us to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and to be the pinnacle of his creation? What did we do? Nothing. Why? Because God doesn't want something from us. He wants something for you. You know what he wants for you? It's pretty simple. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you. And at the very beginning, you can imagine how this relationship went with Adam and Eve and God. The Bible alludes to the fact that God would spend time walking in the garden. Kind of cool, huh? They'd spend time together. They'd talk together. It was this perfect, loving, healthy relationship. And then we read Genesis chapter 3. Next section. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. It is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's awesome. God's coming. And they hid. Why? Because God changed did they hide because now all of a sudden God wanted stuff from them and he was going to make them do chores and he wanted their money and he wanted their time? Is that why they hid from God? No, it's not. God didn't change. What did change? We did. There was this sin that happened. And now all of a sudden, what happened to the relationship? It got compromised. Whose fault? Not God's. God didn't change, we did. And now that relationship had this wall in the middle of it that made a relationship with God no longer the way it used to be. As much as God wanted it, we screwed up as a people. And the relationship became hard. Now, I think God's heart comes out in how he reacted to this. Now, of course God was angry. I mean, think if you just painted your entire basement and then uh, one of your kids came across with a big old, you know, Sharpie and started writing all over it. I mean, that's kind of what we did with God's creation, right? So God wasn't pleased. (laughs) And there was going to be consequences and punishment and even death. But here's the heart of God. Read through Genesis 3 and what you'll see is the verse before he gets to, you're going to have punishment. There's this verse that says, I'm going to paraphrase and then tell you what it says. Basically, he says, but before I give you the punishment, I want to let you know, I still want relationship with you. 
I still want to have a relationship with you in spite of your sin. And so Genesis 3.15 says that I will send basically someone who will crush the snake, crush the devil. Why? Because he wants relationship with you and me that badly. And then the next 2,000 years, actually it was more than that, probably four to 6,000 years, everything God did with the children of Israel was all about how he would get to the point in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago where the relationship joiner, rejoiner, would be born. The whole Bible is about God wanting to renew the relationship with us that we messed up as a people and daily mess up with our sin. So, number two, what does God want for us? God wants to be in relationship with us more than anything. And that gets us to um, our word for the day, um, reconciliation. And uh, in order to understand more about reconciliation, we're going to spend some time in in 2 Corinthians 5. And I'm just going to say this, um, much like Romans we looked at two weeks ago, This is a deeper section. It could be a whole series on this section. Some of you love deep sections of Scripture. Some of you get distracted, all right? If you stick with me and you stick with Paul, there's going to be this great epiphany that happens at the end of this that is going to totally change the way you view view your faith, okay? Um, But we got to get through these very important words first. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 starts this way. If anyone is in Christ, in Christ. That's a weird type of phrase. What that means is if anyone is in the sphere of Christ, if you're in his family, if if you're in his posse, if you're in his group, if you're in his gang, if you are with him, that means if you have faith in him, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. When, When God works in your heart and you become a Christian, something brand new happens inside of you. Now, For some of us, like me, I was baptized and became a Christian as a little child. I do not remember life with not being a new creation. But some of you know people like I do, and you've known them pre-faith and after faith. And was there any change in them? There should be some. Or otherwise they're just saying they're a Christian. Because as a new creation, there is a more confident peace and joy. This foundation that you live your life with that does not exist with your old self. As a new creation, you're not perfect. But as a new creation, you have a new attitude. And it needs to be different than the people who aren't new creations or otherwise you're probably not a new creation. (laughs) There's a new attitude. There is a, a new perspective. There is new purpose. Now, those people that you knew before and after faith, did, uh, did they totally change? Or how about this? Did you totally change? Like you're thinking, my husband's a new creation? No way, man. He's not a new creation. I see what he does every day. We still have this old self in us, right? And so the best way to view this at the heart of it is this, that when God looks at you, He doesn't see our sin. When God views you as sinful as we are, he views us differently than our spouse does. He views us in perfection as a brand new creation, and he does not see our sin. 
continues. All this is from God. All. You know what that means? It means God did everything. All of it. The whole enchilada. The whole ball of wax. Nothing left. Nothing to do. Nothing that remains. He did it all. You know what that means? It means that you can't go in and out of faith every day based on every sin. This is the cool thing about being a Christian. Yeah, we have our bad days of sanctification. But on that day, you are not less loved than on the days that you are a Christian. You're either in Christ or you're not. You're either loved by him and saved or you're not. God's love for us doesn't fluctuate with how many good things we do. Why? Because all of this is from him. (laughs) Grace, it's called. All this is from God. Next slide. Who reconciled, there's our word, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. You know what uh, reconcile means? Go back up to the top now of your gold sheet. Here's what it means. To restore a peaceful relationship. Remember how the relationship in the Garden of Eden went away? The good one, at least. To reconcile what that means theologically, biblically, means that that relationship has been restored as we are in faith, that we are in Christ. Now, let's go next slide, Dean. Look at this reconciliation. God who reconciled us. Um, In order for us to understand what really happened in our reconciliation, I I need to contrast it with human relationships, and I'm going to talk specifically about marriage relationships. Um, Over over my 10 years of uh, ministry, uh, I've done a good amount of marriage counseling. Now, notice I didn't say I've done a good job at marriage counseling. Uh, I don't know if I have or not, but I have done a good amount of it. And one of the things that I've found in marriage counseling is this, and I find it in my marriage too, but whenever a couple is having difficulty, never once has it happened that one person was 100% at fault and the other person was 100% innocent. Now, I've had times when people thought they were 100% innocent and the other person was 100% at fault. I've never had a time where someone said, I'm 100% at fault, never that's happened, but I have seen it 100% innocent. But I'll tell you, when you dig in, it never once is that way. In fact, the marriages that are the hardest to put back together are the ones where one spouse or the other will not admit that they have fault. And maybe in their heart they will, because it's hard to ignore, but they won't admit it to their spouse, they won't go to counseling, they won't get through it, because they don't want to come to the, the difficult circumstance that I might be at fault, and maybe even more than the other person. One of the things that I share with them is, in order to, to reconcile, what, here's what you both need to do. You need to spend less time worrying about the other person's fault and more time working on your own stuff. If we all, as spouses, spent less time worrying about what he or she doesn't and does do and more time wondering about how can I live like Christ every day, a lot of our issues will go away and will be reconciled, right? It's not that easy, but it'll help. It won't it. Now, 
That's how we know about reconciliation, right? You do your part, you do your part. You're all at, you know, we're both at fault. We need to come together and make peace. But that's not what Paul says. And this is amazing. Actually, it's back one more. God reconciled us. So who needed the reconciling? Who needed to be changed? Me? You? And unlike marriages, guess what? God is 100% innocent. (laughs) And I am 100% at fault. Now, how easy would it be if your spouse was 100%, and again, this doesn't happen, but if he was or she was 100% at fault, how much would you want to be the one to change and he just kind of, or she does nothing? I couldn't do it. God did. We're 100% to blame, and he did 100% of the work. We're 100% at fault for this relationship not being good every single day, not being good by what we do, and every single day, God comes to us and says, I did all the work. I'll do all the work. why they call it amazing grace, right? This section goes on. He gave us then also this ministry of reconciliation. Don't just keep this change of relationship to yourself. Now go tell people in your family, in your community, in your neighborhood. What ministry? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. I do all the work, not counting men's sins against them. And kind of reiterates, I've committed to you the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You know, we do a good job of letting people know whether our favorite team won or lost in the NCAA tournament. Are we so as good and as quick to say that my Savior won? <laughs> are we as quick to put that on our Facebook page or to think about it every day, to make that what our lives are about? Sometimes. As though God were making his appeal through us. Verse 21, we'll implore you then on Christ's behalf, Corinthians, be reconciled to God. Basically what he's saying, don't reject this message. This is awesome. Be reconciled. God's done it. Be reconciled. And then verse 21, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become Not just that we are, or that we um, have, but that we are, that we become the righteousness of God. It's pretty cool, huh? Now, see, on the cross, here's what happened. You had the only perfect person, and he was God-man, so he wasn't just man, but the only perfect person who ever lived. And when God the Father looked at him, he didn't see innocence. He saw Adam and Eve's sin. And he saw my sin, and he saw your sin. And there was this transaction that happened on the cross as God allowed all of our sin to be placed on his innocent son. God, who had no sin, became sin for us. And through that death and resurrection, as you know, all of our sin was paid for. And the barrier that separated and made relationship um, hard with God was knocked down and removed. 
And when God views you in Christ, he sees you as what? A new creation. Now, if this... Oh, we got to fill in here, sorry. Number three. We have a relationship with God through Jesus. We have relationship, a good one, with God through Jesus. If this ever went from our heads to our hearts, it would totally blow up your life in a good way. If the fact that you have relationship with God went from your head to your heart, that we live in relationship with him, it would totally change the way we think of our lives. Because how do we think of it? Let's go back to the beginning of the message. So often we think of our relationship with God as this transaction that we're still trying to pay off. And that I need to give offerings because otherwise God's going to be mad at me. Does he want us to give offerings? Yes. But does he love you? And is your, his love based on whether you give an offering or not? No, it's not. You still should. We still should give back. But his love is not based on it. We think of God as transaction. We need to give him our time. Otherwise, he's not going to love us or be kind to us. We need to give him um, our lives. And do we need to do all those things? Yes. Should we? Yes. But it's not a way to get God to love you because you already have relationship with him. What does it look like? Here's head to heart. I'm like, this is a very heady section. How can I close getting to the heart? And with this last illustration, I run the risk of embarrassing my wife, but uh, I'm going to share it anyway. It's not the first time this has happened. <laughs> so some of you already know this because uh, I've shared it, you know, a few years ago or five, I don't know how many years ago. But um, when I first met Carrie, um, I wanted a dating relationship with her before she wanted a dating relationship with me, okay? And, you know, she has certain reasons why that was, and they're all very kind. What I really think is the reason is because I looked like I was 12 years old, and she didn't really notice me. <laughs> and I wore, you know, athletic jerseys every day and baggy jeans, and, you know, and she would, she's too humble to ever say this, and, you know, she'll probably talk to me about this later. But, um... <laughs> Honestly, I was reaching, you know, reaching out of your league, you know, type of thing, is honestly what it was. Now, by the end of freshman year, I don't know what happened. God must have just, you know, you know, gave her a message or something. But I did have a dating relationship with Carrie. Now, I kind of shared a little bit about how much I wanted that relationship, right? Now, when then we went out on a date while in relationship, and I had to pay for McDonald's, no, we didn't, Perkins or whatever. Um, <laughs> how often do you think I said, man, she just wants to take my money? <laughs> now, I might say it now, but then, no. <laughs> She's always wanting stuff from me. She just wants to take my money. Guess how many times I said that? Never, because I was in relationship. Or maybe when she wanted me to proofread a paper or something or help her with homework. How much was I like, she just, she just taking all my time all the time. She asked me for these th the time, my time all the time. How often did I even think that way? Not once. 
Or how about when we went to the movies and I wanted to see this and she wanted to see Titanic? <laughs> and we saw, what did we think we saw? Titanic, exactly. Things don't change a lot, right? How many times I like, man, she just takes all my choices away. I can't do what I want to do because I have to do what she wants to do. Never. Why? Because I was so happy that I was in relationship. I was blessed to be in relationship. Do you get it? That the God of the universe would want to be in relationship with me? And that there's this way that I could show my love in return by giving, up, giving my time, by giving my offerings, by, by doing what he wants me to do. But before that, he wanted to date me. I mean, he's way out of my league. And every day, his love never fails. And we get to live for him in relationship. Our last fill-in. So can we joyfully live in relationship with God? No more but God's, no more, oh, he just wants or he just taking. Again, if he wanted it, he'd just take it. This is what happens in relationship. And we're so blessed to be in that one. Let's pray.